Welcome to Sexual Health Matters. We acknowledge that the land that we are recording on is the traditional land of the Ghana people, and we honour their ongoing spiritual and cultural relationship with their country. We pay respects to the Ghana elders past and present. We also extend our acknowledgement to the traditional custodians of all the lands across Australia, and pay our respects to all Aboriginal elders past and present. Hi all, welcome to Sexual Health Matters podcast and thanks for joining us. My name is Gordy and I work at Shine SA as an Aboriginal community educator in the clinical and community education team. I'm also a qualified Aboriginal health practitioner and today I'm here with Nikki who's also part of the clinical and community education team and we'll be discussing debunking sexual health myths and questions that community have around sexual health. Before we start, I'll let Nikki introduce herself. Hi Goldie, thanks for that. Yeah, my name's Nikki Brandon. I'm one of the clinical workforce educators at Shine SA and I'm also a sexual health nurse. Awesome, thanks for joining us Nikki. So I guess we'll just jump straight into it. So the first question that I have is, can someone get pregnant if they're breastfeeding? I heard that this is impossible. It's called the lactational amenorrhea method. Now lactation refers to breastfeeding and amenorrhea means no periods. And this method is 98% effective if all of the following criteria are met. And that is, it's got to have been less than six months since your baby was born. Your periods have not returned. And the key point is you must be fully breastfeeding with no longer than four hour intervals during the day or six hours interval during the night. So it's quite a strict criteria for that to work. And even if you do comply with all of that strict criteria, it's 98% effective which means that even doing it all correctly, two out of 100 women will still fall pregnant. So I guess that one, yeah, that one could be true. Is it possible to get an STI from a toilet seat? Well, this is very easy. No, 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 no. I mean, if you think of the toilet seat, you think of the areas of your skin that touch the toilet seat, and then you think of the areas that are touched during sex which is what is needed to transmit a sexually transmitted infection. So I think you can all come to your own conclusion that it is a definite no. You cannot get an STI from a toilet seat. Yeah, thanks for that, Nikki. It's such a, like, a schoolyard. <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> if a condom is cleaned after using it, can it be reused? Well, an easy answer for that one is a no. If you think of condoms, they come pre-rolled and they come pre-lubricated. Once they've been used, i.e. they've been rolled onto an, an erect penis, and especially if ejaculation has happened, already the condom is stretched. So it's out of shape. It's no longer rolled. And the washing process will probably affect the integrity of the condom again. So even if you did all of these things, you would then probably find it very difficult to then roll it back on and the condom would already not be as strong as it was in the first place. So the easy answer is no. If you want to have sex again, just make sure you've got a good supply of condoms. You can buy multi-pack of condoms from certain online shops uh, and you can buy big packs from pharmacies. So best thing to do is just make sure that you've got lots of condoms at hand and make sure you store them correctly. I know that like myself working in Aboriginal health, that Aboriginal community controlled health services also have free condoms available as we do at Shine SA at our front desk. Absolutely. Yep. So there are free condoms available around the place at certain health centres, um, especially a sexual health service. Yes. Following on from that, can two condoms be used at the same time for double the protection? 
you'd think, but again, the answer to this one is a, is a no. Unfortunately, the double condoms, it could just actually increase the friction and actually increase the risk of it breaking. So no, it doesn't become safer. One condom is perfectly acceptable. <laughs> and again, the main thing with condoms is to make sure that you put them on the pre-rolled way. They come pre-rolled. And if you try and put them on the other way, it can be quite difficult to get on. And that's when you might start, you know, grabbing at it perhaps with nails and increase the risk of breaking them. So just have a quick check, hold the teeth of the condom, get it the right way around, and it should get rolled on nice and easy, nice and quickly. Fantastic. And the, probably a good point to add to that as well is just to make sure it's the right size condom as well. Absolutely. Not, you know, a lot of people don't know that condoms come in sizes. Just as we're all slightly different shapes and sizes, condoms have been made to fit. But again, the nature of a condom is that it should fit quite snugly. So I know the common misconception out there is that they're tight and they're uncomfortable. But of course, they need to have a certain tightness at the base to prevent sperm from backflowing after you've ejaculated. But yes, there are different size condoms out there. Can you get a bloodborne virus from getting a tattoo? So, for example, um, HIV. Okay, well, actually, yes, you can. However, most people, if you go to a reputable tattoo parlor and ensure that equipment is used, uh, is new or certainly sterilized, there is no risk. If you think of the word bloodborne virus, these are viruses that live in the blood and they have to be passed on through blood to blood contact. So if you use equipment that's been used on somebody else and they've got their blood on the tip of that equipment and then that equipment is used on your skin and obviously it'll break your skin, that infected blood can then get into your bloodstream. So that's how it's passed on. So if you're going to have a tattoo, make sure you go to a reputable parlor or you're using your own clean equipment at home. Yeah, definitely. And um, going to like just a tattoo parlor themselves probably is the most safe way, would you agree, um, in regards to guidelines and that kind of stuff? Definitely. So would baby oil and Vaseline be a good alternative if you don't have lube? Okay, so people can get quite creative, especially in the kitchen. And there's lots of oils lying at hand. There's, you know, olive oil, coconut oil, almond oil, you name it. There's lots of oils as there are baby oils and Vaseline. However, oil-based lubricants should not be used if you're using condoms because they can actually rot the condom and make the condom no longer effective. So it's a double-edged answer. Yes, they can be used as a, as a lubricant, as in they're safe to use. But if you're using a condom, you shouldn't use any oil-based lubricant. So if you're using condoms, you should only use water-based lubricants. And again, they can be bought in pharmacies and supermarkets now. There's lots of different types of water-based lubricants around now. We've come a long way since the old KY jelly. Um, and just to add on to that, would you say that would be the same for non-latex condoms as well? Yeah, really, you should avoid any oil-based product if you're using a barrier method. Condoms, we know, are the only thing that protect against sexually transmitted infections. But if people are using condoms as well to prevent a pregnancy, you know, you certainly don't want to be using any type of oil-based lubricant with a condom. Awesome. Thank you for that, Nikki. So is parental consent always required when accessing contraceptives? Okay, good question. So this is actually a no, but there's a few elements to that no. So from the age of 16, you are actually able to consent to your own medical treatment. So for people under the age of 16, so basically 15 and under, we do need either your parents or your guardian's consent. 
However, we know that that's not always easy for people to get. And there is actually a law which makes it possible for clinics and for GPs to give out contraception. You need to have two doctors consenting and, you know, for them to agree that it's in the young person's best interest for them to have contraception cover. It might sound a little bit scary and, you know, you think that there's going to be two big overpowering doctors looking at you and questioning you. It's very, very easy to be managed within sexual health centres and GP centres. So the answer is yes, ideally parental or guardian consent is required if you're under the age of 16. However, it's not necessary. Clinics and GP centres have a way of ensuring that young people can access contraception if they are unable to obtain that consent. Awesome. Thanks, Nikki. I, th- I think that's very interesting. Definitely just for the young people to make sure that they um, understand that they can come in when they need to and get what they need, I guess. Absolutely. And just the fact that a young person's looking for contraception shows a certain maturity that they understand the consequences of having unprotected sex. And they're actually looking at preventing those consequences of unprotected sex. So already just the fact that somebody's attending a service and asking for contraception if they're under 16, it shows a certain maturity and it certainly shows that it's in their best interest to get that cover. Definitely. So if your partner withdraws from sex before ejaculating, um, there's no chance of pregnancy? Well, this is another probably no. So the withdrawal method, we know it's been around forever. But the main reason that this isn't easy to answer is because there have been studies around it. And studies have shown us that sperm will be present in about 40% of people. So that means that there'll be some people out there that will always have sperm in their pre-ejaculate, but there'll be some people out there that will not have sperm in their pre-ejaculate. But of course, the difficult thing is we don't know who that is. So other than trying it, there's no way of knowing if pre-ejaculate would contain sperm or not. So this is why the withdrawal method will work very well for some people, but it won't work for everybody. Some people, it will fail. The other reason that this might not always work very well is because it has to be used every time. And of course, we know that especially alcohol and drugs can have a big influence on people's ability to control and how they can control their ejaculation. So there's got a lot of elements to that being an effective choice. And even if somebody did use it effectively, if they're one of those people whose pre-ejaculate contains sperm anyway, it's still not going to work. So I guess the answer to that is with some people, there'll be no chance of pregnancy. But for some people, there will be a chance of pregnancy. It's too much of a gamble. Yeah, definitely. And um, that's probably why it's just very big to make sure people are having sex with people making sure that there's that conversation and having that conversation around consent and making sure that this is kind of what they want to do because it's such a big gamble. Yes, that's right. So moving on, is it true that a man had sex with a monkey and that's how HIV came about in humans? Well, not by having sex with a monkey, no. But again, there's a certain element of truth there. So researchers now identified that it was likely African chimpanzees who, after eating a smaller species of monkey that carry a certain type of the virus, then became infected with a combined strain of the virus. This combination of virus then jumped to humans, either due to eating the infected chimps or by blood contamination during the butchering process. 
And I think this all happened probably early on in the 19th century. So, you know, 1910, 1920. And it then took the people traveling to different places and probably ultimately in bringing it to America where the outbreak happened in the 80s that we're all very aware of. Yeah, um, I definitely like that question just about a man having sex with a monkey is definitely just another one of those. But like I say, the monkey element is true. (laughs) (laughs) Does having an implanon protect you from STIs? Okay, well, that's an easy no. So the implanon or the bar that goes in your arm or the contraceptive rod, however you refer to it, it's probably one of the most effective contraceptives. So it works very well at helping you not fall pregnant if you don't want to fall pregnant, but it offers you absolutely no protection against sexually transmitted infections. In fact, no contraceptive will offer you protection against sexually transmitted infections other than the good old faithful condom. That's the only thing that forms a barrier and protects you against STIs. So will STIs go away by themselves? Ah, Again, quite an easy no. However, (laughs) so STIs will all require treatment. But some of the viruses, for instance, genital warts, once you've caught the virus, the symptoms will develop, which will be genital warts, which tend to be visible on the genital area. Now, most people, once they see these, they actually want treatment because they want it to go. And of course, having genital warts on the genitals, you are infectious when the warts are there. But If you didn't treat these at all, eventually your immune system would clear the virus. And that means that they would eventually go away by themselves, but it probably would take between one to two years. So it would take a long time. And other things like the herpes virus. Again, once you've come in contact with the herpes virus, the virus will lay dormant within you and it's always there. However, the symptoms may come and go. So the symptoms of the virus would be the herpes outbreak that we know tends to be little blisters or ulcers or sores on the skin. Again, when they're present, you are infectious. So obviously you wouldn't have any unprotected sex while you've got the symptoms. And even though there are medications that can help, You don't have to take medication with each herpes outbreak. Generally, they will go on their own within seven to 10, sometimes a bit longer, but usually within two weeks, the symptoms will go completely. So just to kind of tie that one in, it's probably the the best idea in regards to seeing bumps and stuff on your genitals or you've noticed any issues with um, your sexual or reproductive health is kind of just to get a checkup. Definitely. Like I say, things like, you know, herpes can sometimes be missed because the the sore will develop generally the first time in an area that you've caught the infection from, but it's not always recognised. So you might just think, oh, you had some vigorous sex the night before and it must be a bit of an abrasion from that. Or people might think they've just caught their penis in their zip or something, or they might be having an outbreak of thrush and that's why it's a little bit itchy and a little bit sore. It can quite commonly be mistaken for possibly a urinary tract infection. There's lots of ways to miss it. But the thing with herpes is it does tend to be something that can come back again. So all I can say is, you know, if anyone has thinks they get sort of these recurring sores that they put down to something else, yeah, it could well be herpes. But Herpes can be very easily managed. And just a final question. Once you've had an STI, you can't get the same STI again? Infections such as chlamydia and gonorrhea, you know, you catch them, you treat them, they go. But if you have unprotected sex with somebody who's got the infection again, you will get that back again. So, yeah, the answer is no. Once you've had an STI and it's been treated, you can catch it again. 
So just to kind of tie back to the last question, just again, making sure you're getting your checkups, your annual checkups. And if you notice anything, um, go see your local sexual health organisation or your local GP. Um, would be the best options. Absolutely. And just to let people know that testing now, is, it's very easy. Um, most of the time people can go and do the testing themselves. Um, it's either a pee in a pot or it's a little cotton bud swab that you can take yourselves in a private area. It doesn't mean that you need to be examined. The only time an examination would be offered is if you've got any symptoms that you need us to check. So an STI screen, it's very easy. It's very quick. It's very private. And absolutely, everyone should be doing it at least once a year. Ideally, before every new sexual partner, you'd get a checkup just to make sure you haven't already got an infection. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me um, and having this chat with me. Thank you, Goldie. They were great questions. I, I hope that's got a lot of the information across the listeners. Definitely. So thank you. Thank you again. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Sexual Health Matters is a podcast produced by Shine SA under funding by Country SA Primary Health Network. For more information about sexual health, please visit www.shinesa.org.au.